Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. My name is Josh Hodges. I'm your host of Online with an Architect, uh, and I'm very happy to have uh, Matthias Eisner from Comdivision with me today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Great honor being here. Thanks for having me. My name is Matthias. Um, for me, it's a good morning because I'm based in Vienna, Austria, so kind of the opposite of the globe where you based at. And um, I'm partner at Comdivision. So when did I start or how did I start? I started, oh my gosh, 25 years ago at Compaq. Maybe you remember oh, Compaq being Compaq before bought by HP. And I started the user support. And then my whole career started in IT. And I'm, I did my first VMware project back in 2005. Oh, wow. So That's a few years ago. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was, um, I think it was 302 or something. Uh, and then I got touching all those virtualization stuff and it was very interesting and I just loved it since the beginning. And in 2009, I got a big opportunity starting as a VCI. So I did my trainer certification because I always loved being on stage, sharing knowledge, talking with people, trying to educate people. So I'm a VCI since 2009 oh, until today. That's actually something I'll yes, and... do in the future as well. So I might have to get your advice. On that. <laughs> no, it's, it's awesome. I just love talking to people and especially talking about VMware and the technology stack. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started being a VCI with Magiros. Magiros was a distributor based in Europe. So European only distributor mm-hmm. and was bought by arrow in 2012 and now it's tech data so that was the story mm. and with the first of january 2013 i joined com divisions more than 10 years ago so i met eve firstly in november, october november 2011 in copenhagen vmworld europe that's when we met so 12 years ago Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that's my story. And he's been uh, lucky to work with you ever since. Oh, I'm lucky to work with him. I would put it exactly the other way around. (laughs) Yeah. So currently, uh, I'm mainly focusing on the whole cloud stack, cloud director, NSX, the network virtualization stuff behind. And what I really love is the automation part behind all those different technologies to automate stuff like... uh, automating products and, and creating stuff based on standards. Mm. So I'm one of a few who loves VROL orchestrator. Very good. Well, I really love that one. I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of us, including me, who can learn a lot from you uh, on that topic. That's <laughs> so fantastic. We could do a whole episode actually on, on automation, I think. Automation is key nowadays because everyone already started with uh, Terraform, talking about Terraform, for example, or using Ansible and all the other stuff which is around the globe, mm-hmm. um, all those different technologies. But I love using products from one vendor because I'm heavily focusing on VMware. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot of storage in the past, especially EMC storages. Mm-hmm. That was my main focus in the storage area, but I love other vendors as well. Mm. Uh, I did a lot of networking aside always, um, but not, never focused on base networking and some vendors around networking components. But the, the knowledge around networking helps a lot in the NSX stack. And mm. basically, I can say I'm 
doing base virtualization infrastructure for 15 to 20 years. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, very, very similar. I think 3.02 was the, the first version I deployed into production um, after a 2.5 something uh, upgrade. Uh, so, yeah, that was my first deployment. I think VCP3 was my first VMware certification. Yeah, uh, yeah 2005, something like that. And uh, yeah. very fond memories of not only, of course, her hearing about vMotion um, and seeing it, but actually making it work for the first time. Um, yeah. And uh, if I remember correctly, uh, DNS wasn't set up correctly. So uh, that was the first error I got and I uh, got DNS working, of course, and then uh, everything started to uh, to come into play. So, yeah, fun times in, uh, in 2005. Yeah, I, I agree. Well, back then it was really interesting. I did a VCP3. I started with VCP3 as well. Mm -hmm. Um, VMotion was awesome in 2005, like mm. 100 megabits, that, that's it. And then you VMotioned a virtual machine and, and customers and people went like, no, that's magic. Nowadays, standard. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny how things go from amazing to table stakes so quickly. Uh, but yeah. uh, that, that's the industry we work in. So we always have to keep up to date. Yeah, that's true. What was your favorite version? Oh, favorite version. Um, do you know what? I'd probably say, off the top of my head, I'd say probably vSphere 5 uh, because I feel like the monster VM, like that whole area where you went from that eight vCPU limit, because I remember I was working at IBM at the time and the cloud offering we had, customers were reluctant because of the eight vCPU limit. And I remember you know, that initial version, version 1.0 of this offering, um, obviously was on four, so that was the limit. And then when we advertised to people we were going to five and we could obviously scale a lot larger, um, everyone loved it. So, yeah, the Monster VM, I think, was probably, putting aside vSphere 5 had a lot of complexity and challenges, um, I think that was one of the things that opened up business critical apps more and really started the journey of, of a lot of the work I did, which was the, the performance side um, and, yeah, business critical apps. So, yeah, apart from, like, single sign-on being a disaster and all this kind of stuff, um, I think vSphere 5, for me, it went from, like, a good product that was could do some workloads to it could pretty much support most workloads mm -hmm. at that point. Uh, so, yeah. What about you? Interesting. Mine, mine is 4.1. 4.1, okay. Yeah, because of the stability yeah. it had. Um, so back then in 4, you just upgraded, mm. right? You just, uh, oh, there is a new version, like a security patch or a, a feature update. You just upgrade it. And you ran for the update, whatever. And then for the 1 came out and you just like, oh, yeah, let's upgrade because we know it's working because the product is production ready that's a great point. that's what i love yeah i actually remember yeah. a lot of upgrades uh at that time and customers were reluctant i'm like no no no. this is like a super reliable technology now like mm -hmm. you can even proactively move things and you know make sure you're super comfortable but yeah. you're right the upgrades just worked and i think as products add more features sometimes you lose some of that reliability um and comfort in upgrades so yeah that's that's a really good point because that's one of the things we love about virtualization is it makes maintenance easy and tolerates failure as well. Yeah. 
Now that was one point, uh, one feature in Forward One, and the other one was the distributed switch. Ah, true. I remember the first time I heard of this distributed switch, and I was like, hmm, I've got host profiles, and I can just push out my vSwitch. Why do I need a distributed vSwitch? Like, that was my first yeah. impression, right? Obviously, very naive. But, uh, you know, then you start deploying it and using it, and you go, wow, this thing's actually amazing. So, yeah. Um, that's why it's so important to challenge what we think and not get stuck in our ways. Because, you know, had I just deployed vSwitches, with host profiles for the rest of my career, I'd be a dinosaur by now. I'd be a dinosaur one version later. So, you know, I think that's a great example of always re-challenge your opinions and, uh, you know, seek knowledge from other people and new experiences. I, I totally agree because that's, that's, I think, one of the main aspects being an architect. Uh, I see a lot in the industry out there people saying, oh, I will do it that way because I've done it this way the last 25 years. And that's exactly the wrong approach. And especially like, like partnering with the partnership between you and us, like end to end com division is uh, the next step challenging each other. Because for example, Eve and I, we are working together for more than 10 years right now. And we have many other team members being at Con Division with five plus years. So we know each other. We know who the other things, so the thoughts of the other and approaches people take. So it gets more difficult challenging each other during daily work. And that's one of the really improvements with the partnership I'm looking forward to is getting to learn new people and observe the approach other architects use during uh, doing a project. Mm, absolutely. I think it's going to be fantastic peer reviewing each other's work. We can obviously learn from success and failure of each other um, and obviously complement each other's skill sets. So I can't wait. And, you know, off air we were talking about, you know, shadowing a project where we're going to, you know, some of uh, the end-to-end -end team are going to shadow your team to learn a, a different area. Um, and I think that's incredibly valuable because even at like VCDX level or VCAP level, there's still so much to learn that no one on the planet, even double or triple VCDXs, they, they don't know everything. So, yeah, I'm personally looking forward to shadowing uh, as many of the Com Division team as possible, and uh, hopefully I can give the same value in return. Oh, I'm sure you will. It's always the same if you're shadowing and, and, and knowledge transfer and, and exchanging stuff. It's always important to ask questions. Mm. And the other one needs to take time to answer questions. I think that's, that's the communication you need to have inside the team. Absolutely. And I think uh, as architects, we, we don't just give a, a yes, no answer or a short answer. We talk about the options. We talk about the pros and the cons and the implications. So that's the type of conversation I really enjoy. Um, and on some of these podcasts as well, you know, it's, it's great to interact with other architects because you hear a slightly different perspective um, and it, it might be just one degree different, but it's just a perspective that expands my horizon. So I'm really enjoying, you know, all these interviews with, uh, with many very talented architects. Yeah. 
I think it's it's very important also as an architect always being open minded because as you've already said, you don't know everything. Mm. Um, for example, I would say I know maybe one percent of VMware stuff, maybe <laughs> maybe a bit too too harsh, but uh, you, you never know everything. And, and additional points of view and approaches to solve a problem are very interesting. You always need to be open minded and just like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Mm. Yeah, actually, one thing I really enjoyed about being a, an NPX panelist um, was learning the different approaches and observing some of those candidates when they go through troubleshooting and design scenarios. Um, some of the approaches, you know, I thought, oh, okay, this person probably needs some mentoring. But other times I thought, wow, that's a really unique approach that I haven't heard from other architects. So I think anyone who's who's been on a VCDX panel or an NPX panel or even done a mock panel with a candidate or even peer reviewing, I think you learn a huge amount. So I think you know, what we're doing between our companies is going to only raise the, all of our levels um, and ultimately just benefit our customers. So, yeah, it's very exciting. I agree because you can learn something from every single person. Mm. It doesn't matter a level of knowledge or something. It doesn't matter. You can always learn. But what you have mentioned is like, um, as an architect, you, you never get a yes or no. Mm. You always get a and it depends. Yes. Um, so from, <laughs> from my point of view, as an architect, you, you also need to teach the customer because customers expect getting an answer like yes or no, or a, a packaged answer. This is how we do it. And as an architect, if you talk to a customer, especially in Europe, I have no idea how business runs in Australia because I've never been there. I can talk about Europe and a little bit of uh, Northern US and Canada, uh, but in Europe, if you start talking to a customer and you start like, oh, it depends, the customer is like, ah, oh, what's going wrong? I just want an answer. I, w I just want a solution. They're not aware of the fact that you might need to start asking questions mm. to build a working solution for that customer. So that's a bit of an education part you have to take from my point of view. Mm. No, I agree. I think everywhere I've traveled in the world, actually, people are very keen to get an answer. Um, and I always try and let people know not just what I think, but why I think it. Um, and, you know, if I'm potentially wrong, what, what could the other option be? So I, I think just as human beings, we sometimes are impatient. We just want the answer. Uh, just, just tell me. I just want to know. Like, I don't want to know how you got there. Just tell me. What is ten plus ten equal? Just give me the answer. But you know, it, it, if we don't know how to do and solve the problem, then just getting given the answer doesn't help us. So, I think the knowledge transfer um, throughout the life of a project um, and even into the the day two and so on operations is so important. So, as architects, I think it's very important we do handover and we do verification with customers and we let them shadow um, as we're doing work uh, where it's appropriate um, so that, yeah, they can learn from us. Yeah. So I prefer the iterative approach as well. Mm. It's not sitting with the customer asking questions like, please tell me your business requirements mm. and stuff like this, which is pretty difficult for most of the customers. Yes. If you start, what, what are your business requirements? And they start like, yeah, I want to use VMware. Mm. No, that's not a business requirement. <laughs> NVMe. I want NVMe. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> that that's a really funny story because you start educating customers answering your questions what are your business requirements yeah that that's always a fun part it works with service providers pretty well mm. but in europe with enterprise customers it's pretty difficult mm. you know how's it in australia yeah, it can be difficult. Um, I was just thinking uh, the number of times the customer has asked me to write down their requirements. Josh, can you just write down what, what our requirements are? And I was, I had to sort of pause for a moment and go, um, how do I politely put this? <laughs> because <laughs> I don't write your requirements. I gather your requirements. I help you, you know, clarify your requirements. Um, but I don't make them up. Um, I don't make up your, your RPO and your RTO. Um, I can advise you what an RPO and RTO means and the, the implications, but you have to give me an idea of, of what you're trying to achieve and things like that. So, um, yeah, that, that's a funny one that I get quite a lot. Oh, what, what do you do elsewhere? What were their requirements? Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and the other one I get is uh, like when you're working with, let's say, two car companies, right? Just, you know, it's just an example, but car company A, you've done some work for car company B is your next project. They say, Oh, what did car company A do? We need to be better than that. Just, just better. Whatever they did more. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. 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 I've had that quite a few times. Um, and I'm like, first of all, I, I can't tell you what they did. That's confidential, right? That's their IP, but um, I can certainly guide you on what I think a car company, you know, should have, but, it all comes back to you need to understand your business so that you can help me understand your business. So I think sometimes our job as architects is we're sitting with maybe the more technical part of the organization and we need to therefore move towards the business side to be able to translate business into technical. Um, so I think throughout my career, that's been more and more of a focus is getting in front of the non-technical members of the company um, to understand what they're trying to achieve in non-technical talk and then try and translate that to the technical team who are all talking about vMotion and iOps and, you know, NVMe and all these things. Yeah. yeah. I think it's it's also supporting the internal technical folks understanding the business and they need to understand how they can support their business. Mm. That's very important. Absolutely. And that's a transformation. But... Let, let's think when it first came up, like the internal IT department should act as a service provider. When did it happen? 10 years ago? Oh, yeah. 12. Yeah, it's been a while. That was a big marketing phrase back then, mm. the good old days. Yeah, and we used to talk about the internal customer. That that became a new Yes. Thing. It's our internal customer. Yes. Yeah. When? When? 10 years ago, 12 years, yeah. Yeah, and that was a global But it's still the same transformation. Yeah, that, that's not like local to Europe or Australia or anywhere. It's it's global. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure how it propagated so quickly. Yeah, but it, it's not moving as far as I see. Because if you talk about internal IT departments and, and understand the business and support internal customers and stuff, it's even cha more challenging to... to convince internal IT departments to move towards automation, for example, mm. just automate minor tasks within your own job. They're like, oh, 
if I automate stuff I do, I will lose my job. Mm. Oh, interesting. So that's also a role as an architect telling folks you won't lose your job. That's not going to happen if you start automation. Mm. In fact, quite the opposite. In my experience, when people actually achieve a great outcome, they get promoted. They don't lose their job. It's the opposite. Yes. They actually get paid more and more opportunities and maybe move into a more yes. challenging role from maybe an engineer to an architect or something to that effect. So, yeah, I think showing value to your employer is never a bad thing. And if your, if your specific day-to-day -day tasks become redundant, but you have elevated your job to a new level, then you're more valuable um, because you, the more you just do BAU or business as usual tasks, the more of a commodity you may become. But the more you elevate with automation, things like this, the more valuable you become. So I think, yeah, you want to make yourself almost redundant as often as possible uh, or the day-to-day -day tasks redundant, I should say, um, to elevate your, your career. Yeah, if you elevate, the better you do your job, the better you support your own business. Mm. Yeah, absolutely right. I think that is really key. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. So one thing I wanted to mention about that is we've talked about the, the partnership between Com Division and End-to-End -end and the fact that we can actually mentor each other all over the world. So I think that's another example of um, helping your colleagues or your partner companies, things like this, actually makes you better as well. So if I can share my skill set with you and you share it with me, we've actually both increased our value. We haven't divided our value. It, the more, for example, in my opinion, um, the one of the biggest problems with the VCDX program is there's not enough VCDXs for people to understand the value of what a VCDX is. Because in 8 billion people in the world, there's 300 VCDXs. So the chance that a customer has dealt with a VCDX is quite low. Therefore, there aren't customers out there, you know, demanding VCDX because they haven't had the experience of having a person like a VCDX. So, you know, I think that would be great if we could get like a thousand VCDXs or 2000 VCDXs. So people understood the value of going through a challenging process and, of course, there are people who are not VCDX who are clearly capable of that certification. Uh, Com Division has a, has a bunch of people that would fall into that category. Um, but I think that's a good example of the more people that have the skill, the more likely it is people understand what that skill is and will value that skill. Um, of course, if you had 8 billion VCDXs, right, you've gone too far. But obviously, that's not going to happen. So 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 would still be very good in my opinion. I agree. Um, so what, from my perspective, what Miember did was a lack in communication because Miember always said, oh, there's the VCP. In the good old days, we only had the VCP. Mm. And Miember said, yeah, if, if you're good, Miember guy, take your VCP and you get certified and then you can show your customer, oh, I'm a VCP. I have a deep understanding of the technology. Then with uh, vSphere 4, the VCAPs came up, the vSphere Certified Advanced Professional. And even with uh, the VCAPs, there, were all, there was already a, a lag in marketing communication because it was communicated as an advanced professional. So you have an even deeper knowledge, either 
administrative, so hands-on, or design. So it was the first step towards the architect route mm -hmm. in terms of official certification because the VCDX was already in place. Mm. So you had the design exam, but it was not officially a VCAP. Mm. And, but even with the VCAP, the first few years, if you send your CV to a customer or whomever and said, yeah, I have a few VCAPs, they went like, oh, what is a VCAP? Mm. Yeah, I think it's still true in VCDX, unfortunately. So I think when you have VX, that, that's the next level. VExpert is actually the same thing, and VExpert is a you know is a valuable community award, um, but it's certainly not a it's not proving you're an architect or or anything else. Um, yeah, the VExpert story is fun because I love because you're a VExpert, me too. I love the community. It's a great community, but customers don't get it. Mm. A V expert is just, as you said, a community title. It just proves that you have contributed proactively using blogs, videos, whatever. Mm. Uh, you distribute your knowledge with the community. You help others. You support everybody for free, mainly. Mm. Um, that's a V expert, but it's most. Uh, customers th uh, customers think that a V expert is more valuable than a VCDX. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, okay, yeah, there is something really wrong. And interestingly, very uh, probably in maybe 2010, 2011, something like that, um, the VMware Australia team came up with the concept of a VMware champion, um, which I really loved. I was very lucky to be part of that program. Um, and it was run by uh, Katrina Jones, who's still part of uh, VMware Marketing in Australia, um, and John Donovan. Uh, I think John moved on from VMware a few years ago. But that program was about maybe 20, 25 people in the Australia New Zealand region. Um, they were brought in under NDA. They were given access to you know, software and access to internal resources, um, we were given like tickets to VMworld, as it was called at the time, um, the V forums, you know, all, all sorts of things like this. And mm -hmm. that was really valuable because um, it, VMware Champion is a great example of what we were doing as, as either engineers or architects. We were championing the technology because we believed in it. We were enthusiasts. Um, it had no correlation with our skill set. You didn't have to be a VCP. You just had to be you know, work for a partner, you have to be, you know, active in the community. And I think that's what VExpert should be. It should be more like the V Champion program. Um, and that's a great name for all the VExperts out there are clearly champions of VMware technology. Uh, and I think that's a, a better title than VExpert because a lot of the VExperts are already VCAP. Um, some of them are, well, obviously VCDXs get it by default, but a lot of them are already experts in their own right, but separating the expert as the champion, I think would be a great move for the program um, and more accurately describe it. Oh, that's an interesting approach. Never thought that through, but it makes perfect sense. Maybe we can talk in Vegas with um, Corey. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Corey, if you're listening, I, I hope we've got your attention, Corey. We would we would love to work with you on uh, on building up the the VExpert program and, and rebranding as as VMware Champions. Uh, you should ring Katrina Jones in in Sydney and get her input because I think that program is amazing. So, thanks, Katrina, for all the great work you did uh, for that program. 
Um, I'll have to send you a, a link to this uh, this podcast. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't hear of it. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, it'll be no, popular one day. The community is great, and, and it's the same with uh, um, value it or make your own job and, and role within a company more valuable. It's also the same with sharing knowledge mm. um, because if you contribute to the community, it's done in your spare time, your free time, and it's done for free. And what I heard a lot were people, even architects, saying, if I distribute or share my knowledge for free, companies will not hire me. So they, I, w I won't have less jobs to do. Mm. And that's a thinking which, from my point of view, is pretty weird because if I proactively share my knowledge, uh, companies grabbing that blog article and solve a problem themselves won't hire me anyway. But the others are like, oh, that guy's proactively sharing. It seems he knows his stuff. I hired that guy because he proves that he knows his stuff. Mm, absolutely. I think putting out a blog article, the thing I, you know, obviously guys like Duncan Epping put out a whole bunch of blogs for a long time and he kind of inspired me to start blogging. So thanks for that, Duncan. Um, and what I found from that was I got a lot of people reaching out. Oh, Josh, you, you know about this topic. Um, can you help me with this? And I'm like, well, maybe, yeah, sure. Let's have a phone call and I can see if I can help you. Um, but I think what it did was it, it helped grow my profile. So by sharing knowledge, not only was I challenging myself to come up with knowledge um, and write it out and share it, um, and obviously I want to get it peer-reviewed and fact-checked before I put it out, um, but people would come up to me at events, oh, hi, Josh, I read your article. It really helped me. Thank you. And over, over the years, I had so many customers requesting, oh, can we please speak to Josh? Because we read his blog and he said this, this, and this. We would like to do similar in our environment. And even though all I did was I attended the, the meeting or the Zoom call or, or whatever, and I repeated effectively what was in the blog, um, that was enough to get them to follow that advice. They just wanted to hear it as opposed to read it. Um, so I think sharing your knowledge actually increases your market value significantly. Um, and certainly at the time when I was at IBM, um, early, so 2010 roughly, um, I did my first VMUG presentation, I think. Uh, and Craig Waters, uh, who I'm not sure where Craig works now, but he used to be at Nutanix, but um, I think he went to Pure Storage maybe. But it, anyway, so Craig interviewed me for... Uh, either a podcast or a VMUG or something that he was doing. And he asked me, what do I think the, the value of sharing is? And I pretty much said exactly what I just said there, which is I think your value goes down if you don't share as opposed to it, it you know, it going up with sharing and, and mentoring as well. I think all the people that I've been able to help with their VCDX over the years, um, so that's paid back many, many times over um, where you know, someone would help me out with something or, or whatever. So, yeah, I think the more we share, the better. So the fact that Comdivision and end-to-end -end are, are doing that formally as a partnership and we're, we're actively trying to make each other better and service customers better, um, the, the brand, both our brands and the outcomes we come up with are going to be much better. Yeah, true. The better we are, the better solutions we can provide to the customers. And that is the goal. 
Absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, being able to, obviously our companies have NDAs, so, you know, no one has to worry about their data um, getting out and, and anything like that. But by sharing that data, we're making every subsequent customer better. So it's just a win-win. So if you use end-to-end and comm division today, in a year's time will be better and three years' time will be better again. So, yeah, I think it's great for everyone. It also means we can be faster at, at getting out work. Um, so if you've done a project that's very similar to a project I'm about to do, then, you know, obviously we can help each other out. So, yeah, it makes the the expert level architecture more cost effective for customers as well. And a great advantage are all the different time zones we are covering because yeah. I saw product or I was part of project saying, Oh, can you do it off time? Yes. Like, Oh yeah. So for me, it's kind of working at night, but if we use all those different time zones for other people, it's like, Oh, office hours perfectly. I can do something for a customer off hours mm -hmm. because I'm just sitting in Melbourne. Uh, that helps a lot because some changes in projects can't only be done off hours. Mm. That reduces maintenance windows and all that kind of stuff. So again, that's a win-win. So global partnerships are key for the future. Yeah, absolutely. And, and definitely, you know, starting end to end, uh, I didn't want to just have people here in Melbourne where I live. Um, so I have Melbourne, I have Sydney, I have a resource in Asia and also in North America. So the, the reason behind... Uh, apart from, you know, one of my guys, uh, James Worth, he's he's based out of Thailand, um, he's a great resource. That was the reason I wanted him on the team. But the fact that he's a couple of hours behind Australian time means that there's a bit of extra coverage in the region. Obviously, we can be closer to hubs like Singapore and Hong Kong and Japan. Um, and also, uh, Melissa Palmer, she's based in North America in Eastern time, uh, Eastern Standard Time. So our time zone is almost opposite so out of hours work in Australia is her business day. So the other good thing about that is not only the fact that we can deliver that outcome to customers, that we have the resources, but we don't have to charge overtime rates. We can actually just charge the normal day rate because Melissa's doing it in her daytime, you know, or I'm doing it in my daytime for US-based customers. Uh, so I think that's a really good example of, of an economy of a or economy of scale um, the comm division and end-to-end -end bring. And also also creating architectures or writing architectures because you write during the daytime and you hand over for review. You can do writing, review, writing, reviewing. It's 24 hours. Absolutely. A continuous loop of creating a proper design. Indeed. Uh, and for urgent projects that are done, say, over a weekend, you start on a Friday evening in whichever time zone the customer's in, and we can do handovers every eight hours across the globe. So I think that'll be great for large scale migrations, you know, critical works, things like that, uh, upgrades and, and whatever it is. So yeah, all I see here is, is better customer outcomes delivered quicker and at a more competitive cost. So very exciting. Yeah, us too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one of the things that uh, Eve and I talked about um, on an earlier episode was doing partner-to-partner -partner services. Um, and I think there's a huge amount of value that we're not trying to compete with other partners. We're actually just complementing them and trying to fill in where they might have a skill set gap or they may not have enough resources to complete projects in a timely manner. Um, so I think 
what are your thoughts on on partner to partner services and the value that uh, our partnership can provide? So I have two different thoughts on the whole topic um, because, as I've already mentioned, I have a very strong uh, distributional background, like Aero Tech Data, so the big global distributors around VMware. Um, so in the and, and Eve as well. And in the beginning, we were mainly focusing supporting partners because we are all VCIs. So that's a supporting an educate, educational background mm -hmm. and the distribution stuff. So uh, we started approaching partners like, how can we help you guys getting better, uh, getting into new technologies, getting people up to speed to provide better solutions to your customers? And in Europe, the partners were mainly acting defensively and saying, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, we have so much stuff to do. Um, how that new technology, that looks a bit weird, like black magic or, or something. So it was pretty complex to find partners to partner with a partner mm. to get up to speed in certain areas um, until today. So in Europe, we have a very competitive thinking between all those different companies. And everyone's like, this is my knowledge. I'm not sharing. This is my customer. If you go to my customer, you need to sign a paper, a thousand page paper that you are not allowed to, to talk to the customer without me and blah, blah, blah. Mm. So that's Europe. And it still is. And at one point in time, we just gave up. Mm. It's it's impossible, nearly impossible in Europe, getting partners into new technologies, drive proactively new technologies. Because like, oh, how, how can I charge for that? Oh, I'm not earning any money with it. That doesn't make any sense. Mm. So that's how Europe works. I am the northern US is completely different from my perspective. If you talk to US and, and Canadian folks, they're like, Oh, that's an interesting idea. Oh, I haven't had I haven't heard about that technology. Let's have a chat about it. Oh, that sounds interesting. How can we partner up to get us to speed to proactively drive that approach? So it's it's very different. Yeah, I think that's human nature, though. Sometimes we, we think we're competing when, you know, Eve and I had this conversation both on an earlier episode and offline. There's so much work out there. There's so many VMware customers. There's so many customers that need just IT help in general that, that there's no limit of work. Like all this competitive stuff, um, you know, I've certainly been involved in it in the past, but it's actually not that necessary because there's so many customers that we can all help that helping each other get better also helps vendors like VMware improve their products and solutions and the customers are more successful, which means they probably have more budget to be able to do more things rather than unsuccessful projects and then having to fix them and the enormous cost of fixing a failed project. Um, if we help customers be successful more often, and they get business outcomes more often, they're going to see more value in these products and solutions, uh, and they're going to engage more with partners. So the work is actually going to keep increasing the higher the quality um, that partners like us can deliver. 
especially talking all the new technologies we're not going to mention right now, but all the new stuff which is already here or on the horizon, mm. IT is like an in, unlimited field of work in so many different areas of expertise. Mm. And what I see is that less and less people are focusing on the base infrastructure. Oh, oh my God. Because virtualization, yeah. I wish I'd put that as a topic for this discussion, but since you've brought it up, this is like my pet hate. <laughs> so people will talk about, oh, I need to fix ransomware or I need to fix, you know, yeah. whatever it is, backup and recovery or, or whatever. But they don't realize that if their core, the 101 layer is not solid, every single thing they put on top of it becomes a house of cards. So I always yeah. say to people, the first thing I want to do is I want to do an assessment of what you've got. I want to know exactly where your current state is. And that's looking at the basic virtualization, the basic storage and networking layers to see if that's solid. And if it's not, well, cool. Phase one of the project is going to be make sure it is solid. And then once we get to that consistent known good state uh, and we've validated that it is, it's achieving what is expected, then we can look at adding features or functionality to it. But simply, you know, in the case of ransomware, everyone talks about, oh, just turn on snapshots, whether it's an array or the virtualization layer or, or whatever. Well, that's such a tiny piece of the potential solution that just enabling one feature or even multiple features it is not sufficient at all. So if your base layer is not secure, then all the snapshots are going to be compromised anyway. If your management of your, your SAN or your HCI solution is going to be compromised. It's going to be all gone anyway. So like, I think, yeah, focusing on the core to me is, is critical. Uh, and that's why I've always, and you've probably seen from my blog, I've, I've very heavily focused on the core product, whether it be VMware or Nutanix, mm -hmm very focused on making sure that the core is resilient and scalable uh, and performant. And once you have that layer building on top um, can actually be successful as opposed to you're just layering layers and layers to where it all falls down. Yeah, I, I so agree. It's so true because building a skyscraper in a swamp is not working mm. without a proper basement. Um, but what I see is less and less people coming out from school, college, university, wherever, and focusing on that base infrastructure mm -hmm. because it's still server storage uh, network. Mm -hmm. That's it. There is no no hidden science or uh, secret sauce in the whole uh, equation. It's just that's the base layer. Mm -hmm. um, for example, I love the phrase, but I have no idea who made it up. I love the phrase cloud is just somebody else's computer <laughs> and that's that's a perfect phrasing of the whole topic it's still just somebody else's computer they rise on compute storage network mm. we need people maintaining and uh, uh, building those infrastructures with new technologies we have even in the base layer but we need people for that mm. but it's 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 cooler to do some public cloud architecture, of which I still don't have no idea what that does, because just, oh, there's a nice web UI, and you, I click three products, and then I'm an architect. Like, yeah. I don't get it. 
<laughs> yeah, the value I think uh, so is like the, the VMware, like AVS, um, Azure VMware solution for those listening, um, or GCVE or all these type solutions is that it's deployed like the core that we just talked about is deployed to a consistent standard. And then from that consistent and known and well-documented standard, you build on top. So to me, that's a really good way for customers who you know, can't engage architects, there's no skill or, or whatever reason, they can get at least a minimally viable solution that is, is well known and understood to then build something on top of. Um, I think that's a, a great example um, of the value of these solutions uh, because if the 80% is done for you and done well and it's, it's scalable and repeatable across you know, geographical boundaries, that can help especially global customers scale and deliver consistent services without having to engage architects for, you know, the entire task. Because obviously, you know, if you ask me to design a brand new, you know, GCVE or AVS solution, great, I believe I can do that quite well, but that's going to take an enormous amount of time. Um, so sometimes we're constrained with time as opposed to skill set and, Therefore, it's better to use something that's that's already there. Um, so that that's one of the things I like about hyperscalers running the hypervisors on top uh, is that outcome that we can get quite quickly and easily. But you still need to to combine or connect those infrastructures together. Absolutely. So that's the bit on top. The twenty percent requires significant expertise <laughs> and. Uh, you know, uh, Renee Vanderbettum from Microsoft, he's, he's a four times VCDX. We, we had a podcast the other day um, and, you know, obviously he's a, he's a world-class architect and works with AVS and he, yeah, was stressing that, that the complexity really comes in the networking and the connectivity. So as much as we're virtualization people, it's critically important that we have that, that network virtualization knowledge and just general networking knowledge to make sure whether we're connecting uh, between environments within Azure or another provider, or whether it's a hybrid scenario where we're connecting on-prem, you know, into one of these offerings, uh, the networking piece is now where the huge amount of complexity comes in, uh, especially when you go across geos. Yeah, I, I so agree. Because if you compare it to virtualization in the past, uh, in the beginnings, you have people saying, oh, I do virtualization. And then you ask like, oh, right, do you have any idea how a storage system works or base network or uh, what is the behavior of an operating system? Because, for example, a Windows behaves different compared to Linux. Mm. Uh, no, I don't know. I just do virtualization. It's like, okay, yeah, that's not enough. You need to know that for 20% on top, you need to have a high-level view about certain areas to be an expert in your one area. And I think with public cloud, for example, it's exactly the same what you have mentioned. I, I need to, um, if I'm an expert in public cloud and can architect solutions over there, I need to have an idea about the networking interconnectivity mm -hmm. to be able to use the best of each world or the best solution of each public cloud to build a proper solution for a customer and even connect on-prem workloads if needed. 